Well, hey, good morning, Calvary. Thanks again for joining us. Just two quick housekeeping things before we jump into the sermon. We sent out a video announcement earlier in this week, and hopefully a bunch of you saw that, but kind of the key thing to know from that is how long we've extended our closure. And so what we shared with folks in that announcement, but in case you missed it, is we're going to continue being closed here on our campus with no events, no gatherings, no ministries going on here uh, until May 20th. So May 20th will be the next date that will let you know information about when we might open up and what that might look like. Um, And also in that video announcement, we just shared our great appreciation for so many of you who are praying and supporting and just partnering with what God is doing here in this season. So we're just grateful for how we're still able to engage and able to connect. And we're grateful that this morning, even though you're not on blue chairs, you're sitting in some snuggly, comfy chair, hopefully with a good cup of coffee. And we have the opportunity to press into once again, what God has for us in his word. So let me pray. And then let's jump into our continuing series in the book of Joshua. Father, we are grateful uh, for this opportunity to come once again and to study your word. And so we know you have truth for us today and there's things that you want us to learn. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit will work and any distractions we may be having right now, Father, that you will just quiet those and help us just to settle and to focus on your word and how you worked in the lives of people many, many years ago and what that has to do with our story today. We're grateful that through the Spirit, you're shaping us to be more like Jesus, and we're grateful for Jesus. And so we want him to be honored, and we pray uh, these things in his name in this moment. Amen. Well, faith, faith, it's kind of this word that's thrown out a lot in our culture. Faith is one of those words that in churches they talk a lot about, right? And faith maybe. Over the past seven weeks or so, that's been something that that you've been thinking a lot. Maybe faith is something that you've been clinging to, and you've had faith that God is in control. You've had faith that no matter what you're experiencing or what you're going through, God is there with you, and he is taking care of you. Faith is a word that we talk about a lot, and it's maybe a word that's kind of on the front of our thoughts and our minds and our hearts over the past seven weeks. And today's text, today's chapter that we're going to walk through together, the big idea, the big theme is on this idea of faith. And so we're going to be in Joshua 2. A couple of weeks ago, we kicked off a series in the book of Joshua. This week, we're in the second chapter of Joshua. We're thinking about faith. And what we're going to see from this chapter today is four principles about faith. And then for each principle, there'll be a question that goes along with it. Four principles about faith, and then for each principle, there's going to be a question that goes along with that principle. So Joshua chapter 2 is where we are. Let's kind of remember where we are in the story and what we've seen in the context. About 500 years before the events that have happened in the book of Joshua, God made a certain promise to the group of people who would eventually become the Jewish people. 500 years before the events of Joshua, God promised those people that he would give them a certain piece of land. And now these people are on the cusp of moving into that piece of land. If we pop up a map again, it'll look familiar. Uh, But the people are kind of camped out on the east side of the Jordan River. And this land that God has promised to them, it's over there on the west side of the river. In about two to three days... They're actually going to start this journey to start to cross the Jordan River and to move over to the 
west side of that river and to take the land that God has given to them. And, and on the map, you'll see there's a little circle town where they are. And the first big town they're going to hit when they cross over in that yellow box is the city of Jericho. Jericho. And we're going to talk about Jericho more in a few weeks. But man, it's this, it's this fortified city. It had double walls. It was well defended. And it was this huge obstacle that they were going to meet the moment that they crossed over to this Jordan River. Now, God had promised these people that he was going to give that land to them. He had promised these people that they were going to have success and that he was with them, right? And that his promises would come true. And as they're two to three days away from starting to get on their gear and head across that river, as they're two to three days away from facing that first battle, what does Joshua, their leader, the guy who's been entrusted to lead this group of people in this moment, what does Joshua do? Well, we read in the first verse of chapter 2 what Joshua does, and it says this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. The, the first thing that Joshua does is a couple of days before this journey is going to take place, a couple of days before they're going to hit Jericho, what Joshua does is he sends spies into the land to go check it out. Now, now, this is kind of interesting because here's the deal. Joshua had absolute faith and Joshua had absolute confidence that God was going to be the one who was going to work, that God was in charge, that God was going to take care of them, that God was going to do all that work. Joshua had that faith and yet Joshua still did what would be a reasonable next thing to do by taking steps to prepare for that battle, by trying to get some information. Joshua was a military leader. He was a general, and it would be reasonable for a general or a military leader in this situation to send some spies into the land to kind of check out what was going to be encountered, to see what was going on. Joshua had faith that God was going to work, but Joshua still did the reasonable next thing. And Joshua's sending of spies in this story doesn't show that he had a lack of faith in God's promises or plans. Rather, Joshua was taking the next wise steps in light of God's promises or plans. Joshua's act of sending these spies didn't show a lack of faith in God. Rather, it would show that he was taking the next reasonable wise steps in light of his faith in God. And here's the first principle this morning as we think about faith. The first principle this morning is this. Faith should not prohibit wise planning. Faith should not prohibit wise planning. Man, in our lives, in our stories, if and when and as God calls us to do something, if in our stories we know that there's something that God wants us to do or a plan that he has for us, and if we have faith that he's in charge and he's going to work it out, that doesn't mean that you and I just need to sit around and do nothing. What it might mean is that you and I actually need to kind of start thinking about taking the next wise steps to move into and to move towards what it is that God has for us. When God calls us to do something and we have faith that he's going to work and we know that ultimately that's only going to be accomplished by him, that doesn't prevent us from doing wise things to move towards what he's asking us to do. Faith on our part doesn't require passivity on our part. 
The first kind of principle from what Joshua did is this principle that faith doesn't prohibit wise planning. And so the first question that flows out of that is kind of an obvious question. And that question for you and for me is this, are you acting wisely? Are you, are we acting wisely? These past seven weeks, as life has shifted in the course of that time, has God been kind of stirring in your heart for you to do something? Has he been stirring that, man, he wants you to stop something or he wants you to start something? Has he been stirring over these past seven weeks that there's some changes he wants you to make and there's something that he wants you to do? And if he has, are you taking wise steps to move towards that? Are you planning about what might needed to be done in order to do the things that God is asking you to do in faith and in obedience to what God has for you? Are you acting wisely or are you acting passively? Maybe in the past seven weeks, some of you have just had some real challenges come. Challenges with finances, challenges with life change, challenges with relationships and you still have faith that God is in charge and you have faith and you know that God is taking care of you but amidst what you might be facing the question is what are you doing are you acting wisely are you doing the right next thing moving towards the plans that God might have for you because of the faith that you have in God the first person in this story is Joshua, and from what he did, we see that faith doesn't prohibit wise planning, and it causes us to question whether we're acting wisely. But there's a next person in the story, and in this next person in the story, we see some more characteristics about faith. And so let's kind of think about who the next person is. Uh, we see her in the second part of verse 1 of chapter 2. So let's kind of just read the whole verse and, and See this second person. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and they came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, man, kind of you see what Rahab's occupation is, right? There's some discussion about whether this house, this inn, whether she was some innkeeper or whether she was running a brothel. But regardless, Rahab was a prostitute. It, was pretty savvy decision of these two dudes to go uh, kind of hide out at the house of a prostitute because that would be a place where men would be coming and going all night long. They wouldn't raise any suspicion. But let me fast forward a little bit about a key factor about Rahab. Let me kind of fast forward about this key detail of her life so that we understand the rest of what she did. In chapter 2, 10, verses 10 and 11, we, we see this deal. And here's what Rahab is saying later on in the story. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. She's talking to the spies. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And then here's kind of the key phrase that shows Rahab's heart. For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She's talking to these Jewish men about their God, and she says, the Lord your God, he is God. This interesting fact that we see about Rahab is that Rahab was a woman who had faith in God. 
And so how did her faith compel her to act? Well, let's go back. Let's rewind a little bit back to the beginning and let's see what Rahab did. This woman of faith, this is what she did, verse 2. So the spies are in the land, right? The spies are hanging out of her house and then the story picks up. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men, and she had hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the forge, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. The king's guards come to the house. They're asking about where these spies are, and Rahab covers for the men. Rahab protects these men. Rahab doesn't turn these men in. And that was a huge deal for Rahab in this particular culture because in this particular culture, there was this law. And interestingly, it was a law directly directed towards prostitutes. And the law was this, right? Because spies, that was common, right? There were spies coming in and out of everywhere. And the law was this, that if some spies came and if a prostitute didn't turn them into the king, then she was subject to the death penalty. When Rachel, when Rahab, because of her faith in God, decided not to turn these guys in, she put her life on the line. There was a lot of risk for her in doing what she did. The easiest thing, the safest thing was just to be turned these dudes in. But man, she knew who God was. She believed in who God was. And so she took a risk because of that faith. Now, in this story, there's people always get caught up in the question of, well, she told a lie, right? Should Rachel of Rahab, why do I keep calling her Rachel? Rahab, should Rahab have told this lie? And then lots of people kind of chase that rabbit trail and then they argue about whether she should have lied or she shouldn't have lied. But here, here's the deal. The point of the story is not about Rahab's lie. The point of the story is about Rahab's faith. The story is not that she lied. The story is that she responded to truth about who God was and that in her response to truth, there was some risk to that. There was some uncertainty to that. There was some unknown to that. And she took that risk because she believed the truth and she had faith in who God had revealed himself to be and who he was. Here's the second principle about faith. Acting out of faith sometimes involves risk. Acting out of faith sometimes involves risk. Now that can kind of seem to contradict our first principle, right? Because the first observation was, man, we want to act wisely and we do want to act wisely, right? And we should act wisely. But at the same time, There's going to be moments in your life and moments in my life when what God is putting before us, when in faith and obedience, what we're supposed to do doesn't always make sense. It won't always be the safest or easiest or smoothest path, but that's still the path that God wants us to take in faith 
even though there may be a little bit of risk involved, even though there may be some unknowns involved. We want to act wisely, but sometimes following God and having faith involves risk. And so the question that comes from that second point is this, today, are you avoiding obedience because of risk? Are you avoiding obedience because of risk? Sometimes in your story and sometimes in my story, we get stuck in things that God doesn't want to get stuck in. But but we don't take any steps to get out of those because we're afraid of the risk of leaving them behind. Sometimes we never in faith move into something that God has for us because we're afraid of the risk of the unknown. Many times, right? I mean, I see this a ton. Many times people date the wrong people. And many times people date the people they know are the wrong people because they don't want to risk being alone. Sometimes in our workplaces, we condone unethical things because of the risk of speaking up. Sometimes we prioritize the wrong things in our family's lives, right? We, we, we put all these priorities for our kids to do and to accomplish because of the risk that if they're not doing every single thing, some other kid's going to have a different resume and a better resume, and they're going to get in the best college, and they're going to have the best life, and we prioritize the wrong things or the most things that aren't the most important things because of the fear of the risk that people in our families might miss out? Is there something that God over the past seven weeks has revealed to you and is asking you to do, right? Is there something in obedience he's kind of nudging you towards, but you're afraid to step out and do it because of the risk that's involved? Acting out of faith sometimes involves risk. It did for Rahab. And the question for us is, is there an area in our life in which we're not obeying this morning, in which we're not starting something God wants us to start or we're not stopping something God wants us to stop because we're afraid of the risk that may be involved. Rahab risked it because Rahab believed that God was who he was and because of that faith and because of that belief, she was willing to take a risk. Well, where did her faith come from? I mean, how, how, did she, right, how did she become this person that, that knew about God, right? Like, how did this develop? How did she acquire this faith? Well, we've already kind of heard some of that in what we've read, but let's look back and let's listen to what she says about God and, and the, the knowledge she has of him. I'll go back. Um, <clears throat> she took the guys up on the roof. She was hiding them, and here's what she said to them. I'll read again. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to the Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And because of what they heard, she tells them, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The reason she knew about God 
The reason she had the understanding that Yahweh was the true God is because she had, as she says in her own words, she had heard it. She'd heard it. The third principle about faith is that faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing. That's not a unique phrase to me. I've literally just cut and pasted. You're going to probably have pop up on the bottom of your screen the verse from Romans 10:17 that talks about and says that exact thing, how faith comes from hearing. Rahab had heard about God. And Rahab had heard about God because somebody had to have told her about those stories, about those truths, about those realities. And so if the third principle about faith is that faith comes from hearing, then take a guess what the next question is, right? If you were going to write that third question flowing from that third point, what would the question be? Yes, probably at least four of you got it. Here's the third question flowing from that principle. If faith comes from hearing, who can you tell? Who can you tell? Who, who can I tell? It's interesting. We're, we're kind of seeing a trend that happens every time there's um, a crisis that hits, right? But in this particular moment, like other moments, we're in this season where people who wouldn't necessarily even consider themselves religious or people who wouldn't consider themselves tuned into spiritual deals, man, that's, they're more open to ideas of prayer. They're more open to asking some of us to pray for them, even if that's something they would never do. And those openings where we may be able to have conversations with them as they ask us to pray or as we offer to pray for them, man, that may be a first step into a conversation we can have with them about Jesus. It may be a first step in a moment when their hearts are ripe, because in their lives there's uncertainty, because in their lives there's financial stress, because in their lives they've had someone who has the coronavirus, who has died from it, and their hearts are soft to spiritual things, and they're willing to talk about prayer and to ask you or me to pray for them. And, and is that maybe a springboard that we can take into some conversations with them about Jesus? Right now, the past seven weeks and this, this coming week, who are the people in your life that you're interacting with? I know the interactions are different, but through Zoom, right? Through Facebook Live, through calling, through texting, through standing at the edge of your driveway and waving to your neighbor, hollering to him across the road. Who are the people right now, through, even through technology, that you're interacting with? And then the question is, are any of those people people that you can tell about Jesus? Are any of those people, people that you can start a conversation with about your faith? And maybe right now you'd, you'd be like, yeah, the people I'm Zooming with, the people I'm texting, it's not really those people. Well, and here's kind of another question as we have at least a few more weeks kind of social distancing. The question is this, well, maybe when this whole social distancing thing is done, Maybe when we resume, whenever we will resume, right? Going out to dinners with people and hanging out with people in our backyards. Man, when this stay safe, stay home situation's over, are there people who you will be interacting with then? Man, who are people that you can tell about Jesus or that you can start conversations about your faith? I think for some of us who've grown up in church our whole lives, we have this assumption that we act according to and I think some of us just assume that, well, everybody knows what's in the book. 
Everybody knows who Jesus was and what he did, and that is false. They don't. People don't know the story. People may not have an understanding of who Jesus is, and they may be turning away from something that they don't even understand or know about. If faith comes from hearing, then who can you and I tell? Who can you and I tell either in this moment now when we're talking to each other in a different way or when this moment ends? Has there been a friend of yours that you've had for decades that you've never broached the subject with them about Jesus? And it kind of raises the questions beyond the scope of the sermon today, but I guess the question is this, right? If, if we really believe these truths about Jesus to be true, if we really believe Jesus is who he says he is, if we really believe our faith is true, then why are so many people so many times so hesitant to tell other people about it? And I know we don't want to be jerks, and I know there's a way to do it, but why do sometimes some of us just absolutely don't want anything to do with that conversation? Why is that? Who can you tell? And why is telling important? Why, ultimately, is this whole idea of faith even important? Why does it make a difference, right? Well, we see from Rahab's story the benefit of faith from her, for her and the benefit of faith to us. So chapter 2, and let's keep reading, and let's just, I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and we're going to see what happens, right? So she's made this comment to these guys that she said she's taken a risk to protect them because she knows who God is, and then she's told them, look, I have this faith because I've heard about God, and then the story continues, and she makes this request to them. Uh, verse 12, now then, please swear to me by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death, that you will save us and you will deliver us from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death, if we do not tell this, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built on the city walls, because she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days, until those guys, pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into this land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house, your father and your mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But... If a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, may it be so. Then she sent them away and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. We'll see later that because of that red cord in the window, the men honor their pledge and they protect her. That she saved. That her faith in God and this response she makes because of that faith actually ends up having the effect of saving her. Rahab's faith combined with God's grace protects her 
delivers her, saves her. And the symbol here, right, is this scarlet cord, this red piece of fabric, red rope that she hangs out of her window. And man, way back early on the church fathers, when they would look back over this, many, many commentators and thinkers have kind of said there's this common thread that that red thread represents, right? And that red thread is this symbol, this type of Jesus' blood on the cross. And they go back and they tie this connection to how when the people were slaves in Egypt and the Passover came, for those people who in faith in God's word had put blood over their doors, red blood, and the people inside were protected. They were saved. And here this red cord, when Rahab in faith put this red cord out the window because of God's grace and her response in faith, the people inside that were saved and they'll tie that link to Jesus. And they'll say, man, in the same way that this symbol of red throughout the scriptures in response to faith and grace has saved us just like people who trust in Jesus' work on the cross. And because of God's grace and what Jesus did and their faith, it saves them. And they're saved by grace through faith like Rahab was and like the people who were slaves in Egypt were. Going back, here's the fourth principle about faith, that faith is essential for salvation. Faith is essential for salvation. It's essential for having our sins forgiven. It's essential for being right with God. It's essential for never being punished from the wrath of God through those things. Faith is essential for our salvation. And so the fourth question is this, right? Pretty simple one, but pretty direct one. Have you ever placed your faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you? Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? Now, some of people listening may be saying, well, I don't know about that, but I'm really religious. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I've lived a really, really good life. Like I'm ethical. I tell the truth. I've never cheated on my spouse. Some of you may be thinking, well, I, I mean, I go to church every Sunday, right? How could I not? And those are good things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But those things aren't the ultimate things. The ultimate thing and the ultimate question, the ultimate issue for us from the story that we see for Rahab, the thing that saved her was her faith in God and God's grace and her response to that. So the question is, have, not have we been very religious, not have we lived good lives, not have we been nice people, not do we go to Calvary every Sunday and sit on the blue chairs and act properly. The question is, have we ever placed our faith in Jesus? Have you ever responded to him as your substitute? Here's the story. We talked about it a few Sundays ago on Easter, but man, let's just be really clear about what the story of Jesus is. The story of Jesus is this, that all of us have done things against what God wants us to do. That all of us in our lives at some point have thought we know better than God, and so we did what he would not want us to do, and in that moment, we moved. We pulled ourselves away from God. He never has moved. We're the ones who's moved. And there's been this gap created And God absolutely loves us, but God absolutely hates sin, and sin has to be punished, but God doesn't want to punish us. And so Jesus came as a substitute for us. Jesus came to stand in our place and to be punished instead of us and because of us. 
And it was this amazing exchange that occurred, right? This, this swapping of something where Jesus said, I'm going to take your sin and the punishment that should come from that sin. I'm going to take that and I'm going to give to you forgiveness and I'm going to give to you righteousness so that God doesn't see your sin anymore, so that you don't have to be punished, so that there's no more shame and there's no more guilt. And then Jesus stood in our place. And for everything and anything that we've all done wrong, Jesus was punished. And then he offers us hope, he offers us peace, he offers us restoration with God because that sin has been taken care of. And the way that we respond to that and the way that we benefit from that and the way that we effectuate that is through faith. It's through faith. And so the question is, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? Because placing your faith in Jesus is a whole lot different than just coming to church. Lots of people who come to church and, man, they don't even really know who Jesus is. And here's the deal this morning, right? In the season of solitude, to some degree, in the season where we do have different type of time on our hands, for some of us it's a great time just to take a spiritual assessment. For you and for me, it's time, just a great time just to grab a half hour, an hour, and be honest about where are we spiritually? Where are we? What do we really believe? Have we just come through doors of church every Sunday, or have we ever had a moment where we said, man, I actually believe Jesus is who he said he is, and I believe that he is my substitute, and that I can be forgiven because of him? Man, this morning, if, if kind of, maybe there's just one person listening to this this morning. We're so grateful because uh, it's just great. We're, we're grateful that um, God allows us to use this forum to communicate with a bunch of different folks on a Sunday morning throughout the week. And just maybe there's just one of you this morning. You've never really understood who Jesus is or you've never really kind of come to the moment of thinking about, well, do I believe that or not? And if that, you, that is you this morning, then man, there's a way for us to continue discussion. I, I can't pop through the camera like magic and come into your living room, which is good for you. But you know what you can do right now? You, you can pick up your phone or you can pick up your tablet, pick up your laptop. You can jump on the website when this video is over and you can go back to the calvaryefc.com website. You can go to About Us and Our Pastors names are there and you can email us or you can email office at calvaryefc.com or if your name is in our database then hopefully a pastor or an elder in some type of form has reached out to you through an email through a text through a call through a note and you can reach back out to that elder or that pastor if you have questions about jesus or you just want to know more about the story you just want to talk about where you are spiritually we can still engage and have these conversations so if this morning if this sermon has kind of punched you in your gut and caused you to come face to face with the ultimate question of why is faith important and faith is important because it saves you don't have to process through that alone email us reach out to us reach back out to that pastor elder who's communicated with you and be happy to kind of have a conversation with you about jesus and about who he is and some more discussions about faith. I, I don't know what's going on in your lives this morning. I don't know if you're in a great place in your story or kind of a discouraging place in the story, but, but I do know this. I know that there's a God who loves you, 
And on behalf of the pastors and elders, my prayer for you this week is that your faith in him will be strengthened. That your faith in him will be strong. That your faith will bring you some encouragement. And that your faith will bring you some hope. I'm excited about what God has for us as we continue our series in Joshua next week. And I'll look forward to to getting back together and opening up his word again then. But let me just say a prayer for us and then we'll wrap our time up with a song. Father, thank you that you don't put a bunch of demands on us, Father. Thank you that Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you for grace. And thank you for the invitation to put our faith in Jesus. Thank you for this story from Joshua about how faith still compels us to act. And if some of us are are scared because of the risk, Father, maybe this sermon and this text will be what you've used to kind of prod us to take a step of obedience. If, If some of us have been Christians for decades, but yet we've never told anybody about the gospel or about the hope that we have, Father, maybe... Maybe the way that Rahab, this woman, got to know you because she was told about you will compel some of us to just tell our story and just tell people about Jesus, Father. Encourage some of us that we don't have to save anybody's souls. We just have to be obedient in telling the truth. And Father, if there's some people who, through your absolute sovereignty, have clicked on to today's sermon because they're trying to figure out truth and they're trying to figure out Christianity and they're trying to figure out What's real and who's Jesus? And Father, I pray that even though a screen divides us, the truth of the gospel will move in their hearts and there'll be ways for them to have more conversations about who you are and about the amazing grace and work of Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't leave us alone. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, Father. And will you strengthen our faith this week through the power of the Spirit for the glory of Jesus. Amen.